This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Before we start today's episode, we would like to ask for your help. Dr. Scott McNamara at the University of Northern Iowa is conducting a study to examine what motivates podcast creators and podcast listeners within the field of physical education. They also seek to understand how a community of learners is cultivated using this medium. They are looking for participants, and since you are listening to our podcast today, you are a potential participant. To participate in the study, you need to be creating physical education podcast or be a listener. This study involves completing an online survey, which will take about five minutes. After completion of the survey, you will be asked to provide your email so that they can ask you to participate in a 45 minutes long interview. So if you're interested, please use the link in the episode description to complete the survey. This would help in developing new knowledge and the value and benefits of podcasts for individuals and communities. Thanks for your time. Welcome everyone. I'm very excited about the forthcoming episode as we are talking about physical education and I get to discuss with the fellow ScienceComs podcaster. As our guest is the host of podcast called Playing with Research in Health and PE. Our guest has done his bachelor and master's in California State University in kinesiology with emphasis on sports psychology and has done his doctor of education at Columbia University. Currently, he is working as an assistant professor at the George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, U.S. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to introduce our guest, Dr. Risto Martin. Welcome, Risto. Thanks, Oli. And if we move to fitness testing of students, how, how do you see the current state and issues in with fitness testing in PE? Well, I think, and again, I think if we talk about fitness testing in PE in the U.S., we have some serious issue. If we talk about fitness testing in other countries, we're like, you do high stakes fitness testing in PE in the U.S.? Why? And they're so like confused why we put so much pressure on it. And I think, you know, what do we do with it? I think, honestly, what California did was, you know, was really good. They basically this year, Gavin Newsom said, we're going to put a hold on it until 2022, until we can figure out how to fix this. And I think that's a, that's a smart move. It's a, it's a pump the brakes. Let's figure it out. It's not, we're going to trash it all together. And, you know, some of the issues, right, that we have with fitness testing in the way that it's done. And so for those of you that, you know, haven't gone through this or are in different countries, you know, in the US and fitness testing, let's say you live in California, in grades five, seven, and nine, you have to take the fitness test, uh, the fitness gram battery. So your shuttle run, beep test, pacer test, push-ups, sit-ups, uh, sit and reach, um, 
and all these like different different tests and you have to go through this full battery twice a year once in the beginning once in the spring and they upload all this information onto the state website through fitness gram and this information not not individualized but school level wise is public so you can go in and look at different schools or different um you know different areas or you know districts and look at the fitness test that that school did and a lot of times this is then said to be the value of your PE program oh we increased our pacer test by 15% this year good job PE teacher whereas you're still looking at 2 days a week at 40 minutes that they're coming into PE so what control does that PE teacher actually have on this you know so for some students it is an amazingly like degrading experience putting kids on put, you know display you turn them away from lifetime physical activity you know you have and one of the issues that California also brought up is that you have non-gender conforming youth not fitting in there are different levels for girls to quote pass or boys to pass but then if you don't conform to either gender then how do you grade that student you know you have research on attitudes of teachers toward fitness testing so you know if you have a negative attitude towards fitness testing your students will have a more negative attitude towards fitness testing because you don't value it and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of research michael gard has done um critical papers on this um we've had uh, different colleagues at um Towson University, um, you know, Hofstra University, Adelphi talk about, you know, the the ethics of this. Like, so like there is a neoliberal tilt to fitness gram. So that company has or that company sells the software. So you can't just run a pacer test and then say that you're going to use a pacer test and use that uh, score and just put it on a piece of paper and give it to the student. It's, it has to go into the software. Well, the software costs money. So now every, if every single school in California that has uh, 40 to 50 million people in that, in that state, now all of those people that go to school in fifth, seventh and ninth grades, which is all elementary schools, all middle schools and all high schools, because that's where five, seven, and nine drop in. All of those people have to buy that software. So now you're putting that score in, you're buying that, you know, computer software, you have to purchase that computer software, and then now you're reporting it. So, you know, you look at even like doing a pull-up. Like if you can't do a pull-up in sixth grade, arguably, should you be able to? Sure. But there are students that just can't. So why are we going to throw them in front of 30 students watching and saying, hey, Ole, go up there, do a pull-up. And you're like, I can't do a pull-up. Well, you have to go up there and try. Like, that's, that's so embarrassing. You know, and that's, that's how my sixth grade was. That was my first year in, in the U.S. And mm-hmm. I vividly remember going up and the teacher saying, you have to go up there and show me a pull-up. And all I did was I played soccer 24-7. So I, I don't have any upper body strength because that's not what I was training at that point. 
I was good at running, but I was embarrassed as a, as a new kid in school. Like, I don't know. It's, those are things that I should not remember out of my PE class in sixth grade. Like that's that, that instance was maybe two minutes long, but I'm 38 years old and I remember what happened to me in sixth grade PE. So there has to be something wrong there. There has to be something that we could do in some better way. Yeah, I I agree with you. So do you see any role for fitness testing? Is there a way to do it correctly or should we just leave it out? You know, I think we can do it correctly. Um, I don't think it needs to be as high stakes. So um, Sharon Phillips, Kevin Mercy and I wrote this practitioner piece and strategies a couple years ago. And, you know, we, we list out four things that we should have. And so one is it should be a part of a year long curriculum. So it shouldn't be just test in the fall and test in the spring. It should be about, Hey, this is how you get stronger. You can't do a push up. Well, let's just stay in a plank and touch your shoulders and start building up that strength and start giving them things that they can do outside of their house, that they can be physically active on the weekends and still build those strength and conditioning aspects. Number two is using criterion reference, not norm reference tests. So fitness gram is a criterion reference. So basically, you know, crash course and and the idea that, you know, all of your students in that class can get to a passing score. Whereas the president's fitness challenge that I went through when I was a kid was only the top 10% in that class are able to get a passing score or a top presidential medal score. Um, number four, or number three is, you know, helping students understand the meaning of fitness testing, right? And number four is you have to make it fun. And that's where I go back to this fun is that vehicle for learning. And we feel that if you do those four things, you can actually make this meaningful and you can make it work. And it doesn't have to be a high stakes thing. And there are different ways to, you know, develop that, you know, cardiorespiratory endurance or muscular strength and endurance. Um, but also it needs to be meaningful for that student. They have to understand why they're doing it and they have to understand how to improve it and they have to understand why they're even doing it. And, you know, there's a lot of people and we, we talk about this in our, in our classes and a lot of our students, when I give them these critical views, they go, well, we should get rid of fitness testing. And like we informally fitness test ourselves all the time. I'm sure that when you go on a trail run, you don't have to, you know, look at your time some days to know that you weren't at your best. Because you've practiced trail running for so long, you know where you feel like something's off. Other times, you'll try to do a personal best and see if you can run that 5K, 10K, whatever that hike is. You'll look at your time and go, oh, that was really good. That was the best I've ever done. That's a sort of fitness testing. But if we can explain fitness testing in that way, or, you know, kids that are really into soccer and they, they practice juggling. You know, I, I remember doing this when I was a kid. Like I would try to get to a better number of keeping up the soccer ball before it hits the ground in any possible way. And mm. I was so excited when I hit 51 
instead of 49. And I kept on trying and trying and trying. So I was motivated. That's not a fitness test. That's a skill test. But that came from internal motivation. That was not a teacher or a parent or an adult watching me and saying, you have to get to 51 today. So those the, we always have those individual tests. And I think a lot of you know people who are listening, you could think to yourself of what are the things that you test yourself with? We do that all the time. It's just teaching that skill. Well, we don't need to broadcast it to the rest of the world. I think it's important to see trends, right? So like, are we, mm-hmm. you know, are we having students who are doing less and less and less push-ups? Well, okay, if we are, that's a serious issue because when you get down to it, you have to have things that increase your bone density up until your late teenage years, or you're going to have more brittle bones in the future. So there has to be some sort of balance there, and they can be done through games and activities and just playing instead of, okay, line up. When you hear the music start, that means you have to go, and every time you hit a beep, it's going to get progressively faster and faster and faster. That might not be the most enjoyable thing. Yeah, I, I think really good points. And did I understood right that you have a podcast episode made of these these four suggestions that you you mentioned? So I don't have a podcast episode of those. Uh, we have a paper, and um, you can find that paper through the research gate to to read for free. Um, but I did have uh, Tara Blackshear. She's at Towson University, and she did a research paper on using the fitness test or fitness gram in teacher education programs. And she talks, she cites a lot of good work there. So that, that podcast is out um, in, I think, early November 2020. Um, so you can listen to that as well. Um, and she, she cites some, some of the good work in there as well. And I know some of my colleagues are doing, you know, very recent work that is just, you know, not out yet, but it's, it's on the way that is going to, it's going to be really interesting. All right. Yeah, that's good. I, I think many of the listeners are probably interested about about the fitness testing and how could it be done correctly in PE. And if we then move to doing research with the school age people and maybe the difficulty in, in collecting data in there. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up was it's it's one of my struggles as a as a researcher. And, you know, I I listen to and I, I I read papers from people who are who've done really great projects in in schools, and I have not had the same experience. I've had really great qualitative data. I've had really great meaningful you know uh, programs that we've run in our after school program. Um, we stayed a full year in each school, and we've had really great results in qualitative data. But my ability to collect data over uh, a long period in free living environments. Not, I can get the data when they're there. I can give them a pedometer, accelerometer, and then say, before you leave, and you know, check that back in with me. But my whole goal has been to figure out what are the students doing? Am I, am I actually having an effect in their, in their out of school time? 
Am I having an effect during their recess time? And there hasn't been a ton of work in following students for like a month and having them have their you know accelerometer on for a month to see are they physically active in and out of school and during weekends, during times when we assume that because they have all this free time that they're being physically active. And you know, my dissertation was trying to track students for, you know, I think, I think we did five weeks and I lost so many accelerometers because I'm, I'm working with students in, you know, affluent schools and I'm working with students in low income schools in sixth, seventh and eighth grades. And I would ask the students, I'm like, Hey, where's your, where's your accelerometer today? Oh, I think I left it on my counter. I'm like, when did you leave it on your counter? They're like, uh, Monday. I'm like, it's Friday. They're like, yeah, I just, I just forgot. And, you know, I had the same thing come through in in the reach after school program, you know, I probably lost 20% of the accelerometers and we've had the same in, in the PEP grants that we've done in, which are used to be in these federally funded um, physical education grants where you would sit down and, you know, give every student in a PE class an accelerometer or pedometer to wear and you sign them out and you know which number they have. And then the students get up to do their physical activity and you see 10 accelerometers on the ground where the students should, should have them on. And so I think that we have so much, or I, let, let me speak for myself because maybe people are doing this totally differently, but you know, I have so much loss of equipment. I have so much missing data. And when you look at it, my activities that we do in the after-school program we had a student-centered curriculum. We had the students negotiate what they want to do. We had, you know, students uh, chime in on how they want to be physically active. We had them do reflections, all the stuff. But then I get caught up in the same thing of still doing a top-down fitness test because what other quantitative data can I get to show that I am being successful in the after-school program? So I'm happy to speak, speak more about that, but I just feel like it's been a struggle and I don't know how, you know, we can get all students represented in these, in these ways and really figure out, are they physically active? Because we can say that they can be physically active during PE time because that's prescribed, Mm -hmm. but can we follow students in and out of school to see if they're physically active? Because you can get that information. We got that information in interviews. We would ask students who, in our after-school program, they were not very engaged and not physically active. And when we sat down with them at the end of the year and throughout asking them through journals throughout the year, they would say, oh, I don't like being physically active in front of my, my, my friends or in front of boys. Well, what do you do? Like, well, as soon as I get out of here... I go play with my cousins at the park and we play soccer. I'm just sitting there going, we run a soccer program, but you're not physically active here. They're like, no, because I don't feel comfortable because people judge me. But then they're physically active out of school. But that information is really relevant 
I can write that up in a qualitative uh, article and talk about how students are physically active outside of school. But there's no second point of data. It's just a one-on-one interview, which I trust because I've you know hung out with this sixth grader for for an entire school year. So I doubt that she would lie to me at this point. But it's very hard for me to get that data because they forget to wear their physical their accelerometers. They just you know in order to have really accurate data, it's got to be an actigraph. So it's on their waist. It's uncomfortable. You don't want to wear that on your waist. And then the argument would be, well, they have a wrist-worn accelerometer now from Actigraph. Well, yeah, but what am I going to do with the $300 Actigraph accelerometers that I have? Are they? Are, are we just going to throw them away? You know, then we have to get new stuff. So I think that there's a lot of issues, and I would argue that we don't actually know how active physical or how active students are, especially at the upper elementary school and middle school level. Mm, yeah, I I can see see your pain, uh, difficulty, and expensive devices getting lost and and missing data. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers. Collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian SenseMotion is a cutting-edge, next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw three-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is s-e-n-s.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. Do you see what would be the ideal device that you think with 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 you could collect good data set? What what are the problems with you? You you mentioned that waste worn, it's difficult, but how how should the device be that it would work? So I know that there are people doing this. I I've researched this a little bit. And I'll give this out because I've given up on on the idea of writing a grant and doing this myself. But if you want to track students at the upper elementary, middle school level, you you do it through accelerometers and shoes, especially in America where kids wear shoes inside and outside normally. It wouldn't work in Finland because the kids would take off their shoes when they walk into your house. But If you want to measure how students are physically active, insert the thing in their shoes. 
and but then that grant would be buying shoes for 50, 100, 200, however many students you're going to have in your study. But if you mm-hmm. figure out how to develop that, and there are very there are a couple startup companies that do this, um, that they either have it on the very bottom of the shoe, or they have it that it uh, you lace it up into your laces. Um, you know, I think those are are the ways that you can do it because they won't even think about it. And if you go into a low income community and give you know, kids whose parents may not have them have them funds to buy them brand new Nikes. Imagine if you give a kid a pair of Nikes and say, hey, here's here's a pair of Nikes. I want you to, you know, wear these so we can figure out how physically active you are. And then you get to keep them afterwards. Kids would probably wear that for a week everywhere they go. Maybe for two weeks or three weeks or a month. And yeah, you'd have some trail off. But if you get the right size shoe on a kid who doesn't have cool shoes and all of a sudden you give them to them, I think that would be, that would be the ideal way to do it. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thing. And it, it makes sense wearing something on your waist. This is always challenging something usually quite big devices on the wrist. It's also, and you don't get that good data, but yeah, in, in the shoe, you would get a good, good data which which is which is a good indication of physical activity although you should probably need to charge those shoes on a weekly or or i don't know how how often but anyway sometimes need to charge to get get for example full month of of data so if anyone is listening there's a there's a good good idea and and basically it could be done on you just need the acceleration data so any accelerometer good work if it just fits in the shoe yeah and we had the the one that i used for my for the reach project was a band that had um i think it was like a three-month battery so you know unfortunately the the company's out of business but you know like there are companies that have longer and longer if, if it doesn't have a display, if it doesn't have like all of this stuff, it can, it doesn't do much more than just gather data, gather data and sync automatically. I think that there are, um, there are, you know, bands that can do that without having to charge as much, but you know, that is, that is one of the issues too, is once you take that off your wrist or off your waist or however, then you then you add that complication of are they ever going to put it on once it's charged, and I think have you heard of uh, Whoop, the mm, Whoop, Whoop band W H O O P? I think I have heard. I I don't remember how it is. Yeah. So they have an external battery. So you charge the battery. You never take off your band, and you just clip the battery onto your band for like twenty thirty minutes, and then it just kind of charges on your body and then you just take the battery off so they never you know you you end up never taking the band off which is great for whoop because i'm sure they're collecting some sort of extra information on me but i love it like i you know once you get comfortable with wearing it consistently you know i don't i don't know if that would work for 
you know, middle schoolers or elementary school students. But I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of researchers that are doing research on physical activity and exercise science and all these different things, and even, you know, even PE researchers, they're doing research on pre-service teachers. They're doing it on college students because I can just go up to a college student and get their, you know, permission slip. I can just have them sign it right there. They don't need to go take it to their parent. I don't need to go through an ethics board that says, click here if you're working with minors. So I think that that's, and that's what we showed a lot of on our, we did a 21 year review of research on teaching and PE. And we reviewed uh, over a thousand articles over this 21 year span. And the trend is towards um, questionnaire data and using adults, pre-service teachers, in-service teachers, instead of students, instead of qualitative, long format interviews and continued engagement of staying in that community for a year to learn what it's really like in physical education. Because it's harder to get through ethics, it's a lot more work, and it's a, I mean, getting a parent permission slip in a community that doesn't have a lot of parent involvement is really hard. So it's harder to go into communities that have less parent involvement. And that's why we know less about what goes on in low-income communities versus communities adjacent to research-intensive universities in the U.S. Because that's where money's coming in. That's where researchers are. And they're not going to go into inner cities to go in and collect data on schools that it's going to be much harder in. They're going to go to places that it's easier. And I think I think that government grants and, and universities are changing this for sure. They're saying, mm-hmm. if you apply for this grant, it has to be in a, you know, low income or I don't remember what they what they call opportunity zones. So they have to be these places that have up and coming businesses or a gentrifying neighborhood or something like that to force researchers to go in and do the research where it needs to be done. Mm, yeah. And it, it, it is often that when you try to collect data in real world environments, even really small obstacles actually are big obstacles. Like it needs to be really smooth, even just simple thing of charging maybe once a week might be a, might be too much. So I, I think it really needs to be thought through and try to develop it really far and try to get all the small things away from collecting good data in, in real life environments. Yeah. And once you start that ball is rolling. It's rolling downhill and it's going fast and you can't stop it. Like, you know, you, you take a baseline data for accelerometers and then you go in and that baseline data didn't, you know, monitor correctly because students didn't wear it over the weekend or they threw your accelerometer in the laundry and now it doesn't work anymore. Like those are, those are things that then okay, now you started with 60 students. Now you have only 40 students. And then you have time one period and 10 of those students, you know, didn't 
didn't wear it. Now you're down to 30 and then you have to do a post test or a second time. So you can quickly see how even a really well-designed study, you know, ends up with half of the participants. And then you say, well, you know, you go to peer review and they say, well, you didn't have a lot of people in the study. Like, well, yeah, we started with a lot, but I can't, you only have so much control. I can't force kids to wear it. Mm. When they say, do I have to wear this? What's your response as an ethical researcher? No, you don't have to do anything. I'm asking you to. This will help because it's going to help other people understand how physically active kids are in your neighborhood. And the kid looks at you and says, but I don't have to wear this. That's what I heard, right? I'm like, no. And they just take off the accelerometer. And I've had that happen to me. And I'm like, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for participating. If you want to do the interview later on. So I got I got tons of data on why kids don't want to wear accelerometers or what they didn't like about it. But that's yeah. not very interesting data. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.